Hey, well, welcome everyone to Blackhawk Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Blackhawk. And uh, welcome to everybody live in the room right now. Hey, and would you help me in welcoming everyone who is joining us right now for just a minute? So. Blackhawk Downtown, welcome. Blackhawk Fitchburg, welcome. Gospel Fusion Venue, so glad you're here. And everybody, obviously, who is online, welcome. We are one church in lots of different locations, and it's good just to have a chance to be able to gather. So before I jump deeply into things, uh, I want to just kind of give a quick announcement. All of you were just hearing at your sites and venues and online about Be Kids that is about to launch again, which I think is worth a round of applause. I mean, with the fact that that's getting ready to start again, because if you're a kid who's listening right now, we love you so much, and we are excited to be able to start offering Be Kids again, where you're gonna have a chance to be able to interact with people and uh, and really be able to connect with the idea of how much God truly loves you. Now, we're gonna keep doing everything we've been doing online for Be Kids, but at the same time, all of our sites, all of our venues, this is going to be starting again. And that means for the rest of the church who would not be in that level of, of kiddom, we need your help. Look, we right now, this is crazy, on an average every week, just for us to be able to start up again with children's ministry, every week due to the amount of kids that we have coming at all of our sites and all of our venues, we need over 180 volunteers weekly to be able to pull off Be Kids. That's amazing. That's a blessing in itself that we have that many kids that are involved with our church on a regular basis. But that means that we need your help. And that's just the starting place. Like as we get back up to running the way that we were before, it's around 275 volunteers weekly that we need. Now just to be able to get off the ground, we need 70 more people. And so as one of your pastors... I am asking you, not just here live in the room, but you at Blackhawk Downtown, all of you at Fitchburg, at Gospel Fusion, would you consider getting in the game and helping out within Be Kids World? There are all kinds of different things you could be doing. For some of you, that might mean being with a group of kids in a small group setting. For others of you, it might mean working at a, a, a welcome desk and, and walking new families to their rooms in order to help them feel comfortable with the whole situation. For some of you, it might mean you're standing at a door kind of running security, grabbing name tags and making sure the right people are in the right places. There are all kinds of different ways to be able to serve. But the key is, is if we do this together, look, we have the opportunity to help the next generation understand the love that God has for them by the way that we do what we do within the world of Be Kids. So I'm just asking you, all sites, all venues, would you consider hopping on board? If you're interested, stop by the info center. You can hop online, but I would love to have it be where this next week, Be Kids people come and they go, we got everyone we need. We have all the volunteers we need. Wouldn't that be amazing? That happens when a bunch of you jump in the game. So what I wanna do for a minute as we get ready in the next couple of weeks to relaunch, I wanna take a second right now just to be able to pray for everything going on with Be Kids. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, first off, um, thank you so much for the amount of kids that we have within our church that are really, they're a part of our family. They are not the next generation, Father. They're a part of this generation. And we are so grateful to have the opportunity to have them be a part of our community. And God, thank you for our staff and our just amazing volunteers that are in Be Kids right now. 
Thanks for their wisdom and their discernment and their creativity as they figure out how to be able to do everything online as well as everything in person. We pray that you would give them just the, the power and stamina to be able to do everything you're calling them to. And God, I pray for just a, a massive group of people within our church that you would be laying on their heart to come and serve in this area of ministry, that we would be able to really show this part of our community how deep it is that you truly love them. So God, thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, um, so uh, I get the chance to be able to share a little bit with you right now as we kind of jump into the message. But, uh, but before I do that, I've got a question to ask. How many of you would consider yourself to be kind of a forgetful person? I, would, I want a show of hands, and I want all sites, all venues. This is an all-skate deal right now. Some of you are being nudged by the person next to you because you're forgetting you're a forgetful person. So I would definitely put myself in the category of being forgetful. I mean, I just blow it all the time. In fact, for all of you who raised your hands, maybe we should start a little club. We can all hang out together. We'll, we won't remember each other's names. We can call each other like buddy and pal and shooter and you know all that stuff that we do when we don't remember people's names. I forget stuff all the time. Like, uh, like case in point, one of my favorite things is, um, is on my Apple Watch. So on my Apple Watch, I have this particular little button that I can push that, um, man, is just key for me because I lose my phone all the time. So when I push this button, listen, this is really cool. I hope you can hear this. I mean, come on, how awesome is that? That was for me worth the cost of the Apple Watch right there, just because I can never find my phone. I can't remember where I put my phone. I can't remember where I put my keys. I can't remember where I put my wallet. Anyone else, you're in that category. You get it, you understand. I just have a hard time remembering. Well, today we're actually going to look at a community of people who are, who are coming before God to remember. The, the, the direction that we're going today more than anything else, I mean, the title for today's message is Returning to God. And we're going to look at a group of people who are returning to God. What they are trying to do is they are trying to remember what is true about them and what is true about the God who they serve. Because in doing that, in working through that practice, that actually leads them to another practice. And that is a practice that none of us really enjoy. It's the practice of confession. This group of people, they are returning to God by remembering who they are and who God is. And they are doing that through confession. That's where we're headed today in this message. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9. Now we are in this, uh, this short little series that we are doing called Homecoming. In this particular series, we're going through the two Old Testament books of Ezra and, and Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah, if you've been around here at all, you've heard is the story of the, the people of Israel who have been exiled to Babylon, who are now being allowed to return to their homeland once again. And as they return, they are, they're, they're working at rebuilding the wall for security. They are working at rebuilding the temple. They're, they're working at rebuilding the city. But the thing that they realize in it is actually the biggest thing they need to rebuild is their relationship with God. They need to move that direction. And that's everything that we see taking place with this group of people. And so we figured, okay, they're returning from exile. And in some ways, as we've gone through this last year, we've kind of been exiled. 
And now I mean with, you know, vaccinations going in people's arms and masks coming off and social distancing stopping, we're kind of returning from the land of COVID to hopefully to the land of normal once again, where we're able to live a different type of life. And so we figured maybe this would be a worthwhile direction for us to go. These would be worthwhile books for us to look at that we could take a look at what can we pick up from the people of Israel that might help us in rebuilding our relationship with God. Now, last, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Chris uh, talked about uh, chapter 8 of Nehemiah, where he looked at the people as they reopened the word of God. And as they did that, there was a rekindled love for God's word in this group of people that, that moved them by the end of that chapter to, to things like celebration and feasting. It was a really great ending to this particular book as they looked at reopening the word of God. Well, now we jump into Nehemiah 9 and they open the word of God together again as a community. But let's just say the mood has changed just a little bit with uh, the way that they're seeing things. That's where we pick things up in Nehemiah 9. Let's, let's begin here with verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. Okay, now, now this is interesting. Like, you get the idea. This is no longer the party celebratory feel of the end of chapter 8. You know, it's no longer feasting. Their feasting has gone to fasting, you know, and their celebration has now moved to confession. This is a different type of a feel. And we notice that what, what takes place here in this particular book is now the spiritual leaders stand up in Nehemiah 9. And they begin in verse 5 with a prayer that they lead the people through. It's actually, it's one of the longest prayers that we see in Scripture altogether. It lasts from verse 5 through verse 37. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of this together. But I want to dive into it in different places. Because the interesting thing that happens... What takes place in this, in this prayer, this turns into like a history lesson for the people of Israel as they look back on the last thousand years that have taken place. It starts off in this prayer with, with worship and praise to God in, in verse 5. It's this picture of worshiping God for who he is. He's, he's a good God, he's a righteous God, and he's faithful to his people. And it walks through the goodness and righteousness of God from the creation of the world all the way to the, the, the choosing of, of Abram to be the father of the Israelite people. And then going all the way to the, to the uh, appointing of Moses uh, to lead the people of Israel once they were in slavery and captivity in Egypt. To lead them out of that land and towards the promised land. It's this picture of God's good, he's righteous, he's faithful. That's everything that we see. There's a spotlight on God and he is looking good in the midst of of this prayer. And then all of a sudden, the spotlight changes to going on to the people of Israel. Remember, everything in this prayer they're doing in this history lesson, what are they doing? They are remembering who God is and they're remembering who they are. And as the spotlight goes on to the people of Israel, well, let's just say that things change a little bit. That's where we're going to pick things up in verse 16. 
Look at this. It says, remember, in this prayer, talking about the Israelites as they're remembering back, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Okay, what do we see taking place here? The spotlight goes on to the people of Israel. They are remembering back to when they were beginning to wander in the desert following Moses. And, and yet because things are difficult, they're wanting to go back to slavery. They're, they're, they're seeing their arrogance, their stiff-neckedness, their stubbornness in this situation. A kind of rebellion against God and God's desire for his people. But how does God respond? Well, go to 17, the second half of verse 17. They said, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. It's interesting. What do they see about the people? People of Israel, stubborn, stiff-necked. Yet God continues to remain faithful. We begin to see now through this history lesson as we walk through the rest of this, this pattern that continues to take place that shows the people of Israel rebelling against God and yet God continuing to be faithful to his people. It continues on six different times in this prayer that's read by the Israelites. Look at this, go to verse 18. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf. Do you remember when this takes place? This is at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses had led the people to Mount Sinai. He goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. In that process, he's gone so long, people think, well, he's gone. And so they create for themselves a golden calf. This is what they're talking about here. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. You see, again, people of God, yep, broken. But God in the midst of it, faithful. And it continues on. Go to, uh, go to verse 26 and 27. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. And we move on. Go to verse 28. But as soon as they were at rest... They again did what was evil in your sight. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Jump down to verse 29 now. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, Lord, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. And then again in verse 30, the second half of it, yet they paid no attention. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are gracious and merciful God. What do we see happen over and over again? People of Israel, rebellious, broken, Yet God remembers to be good and faithful and gracious and compassionate to his people. Over and over again, we see this pattern. It reminds me of, okay, um, when, uh, 
Reminds me of my daughters when, uh, when, when they were growing up. Back in the toddler years, one of the things that we used to play a lot with, um, with my girls when they were at that stage is we would play with blocks. I actually grabbed these blocks like down from our storage area. They don't play with these nearly as much as they used to, but, uh, but, but they used to play with blocks. And we would do things like this where we would build little towers and stuff like that. Do any of you remember doing that as, as, you know, with your kids or someone in your family or you were babysitting? And as soon as you start to build a tower, what do the kids want to do? What Hannah and Leah want to do? Knock it down, exactly. And so then you're like, okay, and you start building again and putting it all back together, you know, and you get the tower built again and immediately, big smile, knock it down. And it becomes a game over and over and over again that never ends. This is the picture that we get of God and the people of Israel, this pattern that we see through Nehemiah 9. People, stubborn, stiff-necked, you know, rebellious against God. But God continues to remain faithful because he's gracious and compassionate. And it goes all the way through to finally as a climax, the people of Israel in this prayer, they kind of come to the completion, the conclusion of what they've seen as they've remembered their history. It says this in verse 33. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. You see, they finally come to this place where they just simply confess. They just simply say, God, we've blown it. You've been faithful. We're broken. And they just state it out loud. Okay, so here's my question. What is it that we can learn from a prayer like this? What's important for us to be able to look at as takeaways for our own particular life when we look at a passage like this from Ezra and Nehemiah? Well, I think a big element of it is, <laughs> one, we're broken. And all we have to do is look back at our stories in order to realize that. You know, over this past year, as I've been in conversation with people, um, one thing that it seems like there are a lot of people who have shared with me is that this year has been incredibly hard. Can I get an amen from anyone in the room right now? Yeah, this has been difficult. For many people, I've heard this has been one of the most difficult years, if not the most difficult year that they've ever walked through. You know, and, and in the process of that, you know, I, I talked to people who, like, they fell out of the good routines that they had in their life. You know, like, you're doing church online as best as you possibly can, and then all of a sudden you kind of take a week off, and then that becomes two weeks, and then a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, before you realize it, you haven't done church in a long time. You know, people who, they were in their life group, and they were doing the Zoom thing as best as they possibly can, and then it hit the point where it was like, I cannot do another Zoom meeting, and you take a week off, and all of a sudden, it, it's been months. The same thing happens with people's prayer lives, with reading scripture, and all of a sudden, you look back over the last year, and you're like, man, I fell out of good routines. There are also all kinds of people who I have talked to who have fallen into bad habits. You know, I mean, just through the, look, the stress and anxiety, you know, fear of the future, loneliness that people have dealt with in this season. There are people who they grab onto all kinds of things as a coping mechanism that can end up ultimately being really detrimental. I mean, you just look at the statistics 
that have taken place in people's lives, the amount of people who have stepped in to, uh, to things maybe that they dealt with in their past and finally got a grip on, but then all of a sudden in this season, they've slipped back into. You know what I mean? Of everything from pornography to you know, alcohol abuse to, to workaholism to eating disorders. I mean, we could just go down the line. Maybe for you in this season, the thing that you fell into more than anything was just selfishness and self-centeredness where it's like life just became all about me and, and my safety and my security and my needs and my rights and my wants that ended up pushing me against other people. I began to look at my own selfish needs more so than the needs of others and, and, and their safety and their security, in particular for those who might not be as well off as you are. See, like when you look back at this last year as we've been in this exile, COVID land season, what is it that you look like? What is it that you see? Because I think that for a lot of us, just like the people of Israel, we look back and the things that we see are the things that are broken. Because, well, we're broken people. Like we are full of brokenness. And the thing is, is that any time that like you look back and you have to look at brokenness, you have to look at like, okay, the blocks, they're not all stacked any longer. They've fallen off. Like that's not fun to look at. Oftentimes when we do that, it takes us to places of, you know, what, defensiveness, um, you know, uh, making excuses, um, anger, guilt, or shame. You know, those are the places we end up going in our mind. Where did the people of Israel go when they looked back at their brokenness? They moved to a place of confession. That's what we see in the very beginning. I mean, in you know, chapter 9, verse 2, that's what we pick up from the very beginning of the story. It says that they, they stood in their places and they confessed their sins. You know, there was a need for them to be able to look at the different things that they did in their lives. Because the reality is, when, when we look at our brokenness, the thing that ends up happening is, we, like, when we hurt each other, we realize there's a wedge that is driven between us and the people who we hurt. When, when we fall into sin, that's what ends up happening. And what we need to do in our life is to confess those different things. Case in point, um, not too long ago, I was on my way home from work one particular day, and um, it had just been a bad day. Like, it was stressful and hard, and I was grumpy, and, and, and coming home from work, and I'm one of those people who kind of wears everything like that on my sleeve, and I get home, it, it's just me and Rachel, and she's about to make dinner, and she asked me, what, you know, what sounds good for dinner? And I said to her in that moment, I said, um, I am in the mood for comfort food, so, like, whatever healthy, bland meal you're planning on making, can we just not do that tonight? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm that guy right there. And some of you are ready to come up and throat punch me right now. So, you know, I, like, look, I, let's just say I had driven a little bit of a wedge in that relationship at that moment because conflict came up and communication between the two of us changed a little bit in that moment and let's just say things felt a little strange. Now let's just say for the sake of that story that, uh, that rather than, than me dealing with things, I just kind of shrugged it off. Rachel knows I love her. You know, she'll let it go. 
it'll be fine. And later on that night, like we're watching a movie or something and I kind of snuggle up with her, you know? Like, like I'm trying to move towards getting romantic. How do you think that that is gonna go over in that moment? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Why? Because there's this wedge between us in that moment. Like, we all see that. I mean, the thing that needs to happen in a moment like that, what do I need to do? I need to come to her and confess. Confession is just simply truth-telling. That's all it is. When we think of confession a lot of times, like, we, we get this weird idea of what, what confession is. Like, we, we, for some of us, it's like we have these memories of confession of, like, going to a priest in a formal situation seeking confession. For others of us, we never think about confession because, well, we don't really think about our sin all that much. Maybe you're, you're a Christ follower, and you know that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins, and so, like, when you think of confession, you're like, my sins have all been paid for, so why do I need to confess again? Well, it's because we drive this wedge in between these relationships. It changes the relationship. I needed to be able to come before Rachel and just say, honey, that was awful, I blew it. No excuses, no justification that was wrong. Forgive me, I'm sorry. Because when I do that, when I move towards that wedge, what is it? It begins to loosen it, and it begins to mend the relationship. It begins to change things and mend the relationship to what it's supposed to be. That's what happens between us and other people. It's the same thing that happens between us and God. When I end up being in a situation where I blow it in my relationship with God, I do something, I act a particular way, I say something that I know God wouldn't want me to do or say. What does it do? It drives a wedge. It begins, you've been there. It begins, your relationship with God can, begins to feel different. Does that mean that there is anything different? Well, does that mean that he doesn't love me as much or like I've lost my salvation? No, 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 no. It's not that but we know that there's a wedge that's driven. I can remember times in college where I did stupid stuff on a weekend and then I didn't want to go to church on Sunday. Anybody remember that type of situation? Like, what is that? There's a wedge that's been driven. I need to come before God and be willing to say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I, I need your forgiveness in order to what? To right that relationship once again to get rid of that wedge. Now, I'm not telling you anything at any of our sites or venues that most of you don't already know you know, that's what confession does, and that's what we're supposed to do in those situations. But it's interesting. The people of Israel, they actually took confession to a, a deeper level than most of us think about it. Look at this in the second half of chapter 9, verse 2. It says, they stood in their places, they confessed their sins, and the sins of their ancestors. Did you catch that? They confessed their own sins and the sins of those who would come before them from generation to generation. People who they had no relationship with. There was an element of corporate confession that was taking place. See, we don't think about that very much in our day and age. In our Western world that we live in, this generation that we're in, we think of it as individual confession. Because when I think of my relationship with God, it's me and my Bible and Jesus. That's the way that we think of things. So when I blow it, I need to come to God personally. But we don't really think of the corporate side. We don't think of the connection very much. Back in the 1970s, there were uh, two scientists here at the UW who made um, a new discovery of something in our bodies. These, these two men back in their lab here in Madison, Wisconsin, as they were studying, you know, studying with the microscopes that they used, they, they realized, they, they saw part 
this is crazy, part of a part of a cell that had never been discovered before. They were the ones who discovered it. And, and in that, eventually, as the scientific community realized what they had done, that, that part of a part of a cell was given a scientific name that I can't even pronounce myself. But back at that time, this particular small little element, unofficially in their lab for a short period of time, became known as the Hunter Hallworth Hole, named after the two scientists, Doug Hunter and Rob Hallworth, my father-in-law. Come on. How awesome is that? Now look, I got permission to tell this story reluctantly from my father-in-law, but the reality is there is a part, think about this, there's a part of your body that's named after my dad-in-law. Okay, not officially, but for a short period of time, unofficially, it was, it was named that. I just, I love telling that story to people. Now here's the thing, did I have anything to do with that discovery? Absolutely not. Back in the 1970s when he was discovering that, I was in elementary school back in South Florida, you know? But that doesn't stop me from loving to tell people that story because there's a connection that I have with him and connection matters. We all know that. We love being connected to people or situations where there has been good that's been done in the world. We like to be able to have connection that way. But let's flip that coin. When it comes to situations where there's been damage or harm that's been done to people, (laughs) we don't want to be connected to that. We discount our connection in situations like that. We don't want anything to do with it. I mean, like we, we look at those type of things, we try to separate ourselves from those situations. But that, think about this. Well, what we've seen in Nehemiah 9, it's not what the people of Israel do. They stand in the gap. And they see confession as something that is corporate. They step into that moment and they confess things of people from the past because connection matters. I mean, let's, let's just pause for a minute and talk about the church in the United States over the last, I don't know, few hundred years. You know, <laughs> can you think of any ways that The church, the big C church, has blown it. You know, for centuries, you realize that for centuries, the church was one of the driving forces in the justification of slavery in our country, and they used the Bible to support it. Where have we, as the church, the big C church, made people who are struggling with sin or on the fringes of society feel unwanted, judged, hated, rather than feeling welcomed and valued and invited in to the people of God? Like where have we we yelled across picket lines our rights and our beliefs rather than loving people into the family of God, helping them to understand how much Jesus truly loves them? Where have we been, been cowardly at speaking out for the sanctity of life, particularly when it comes to the unborn in a loving way, and not done so for, for fear of, of the way that other people might take us in a situation like that? Where have we blown it when it comes to caring for the poor and needy the way that scripture commands us to care? Where have we run after the idols of this world as the big C church, running towards things like power and and notoriety, and fame, and money, 
rather than running after the heart of God. You see, the room gets really quiet in a moment like this because we, we, we stop and we remember. And as we remember, what do we realize? We are broken. And the thing is, if we look at things from an individual perspective, it could be very easy for you to feel right now in this moment, yeah, but that's not me. I'm not that person. You know, I didn't do those things. Some of that stuff, Matt, that you're talking about, that was hundreds of years ago. Why should I feel guilty and have to confess for things that people did that I wasn't even connected to? It's because connection matters. That's what we see happening in the life of the people of Israel. They realized that standing in the gap and confessing the sins of others was vitally important because confessing the past it helps to heal and mend the present and the future with us and other people and us and God. That's what we see happen. Now, does that mean, Matt, that you're saying that so I need to stand and feel guilt and shame for everything that's taken place? No, 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 absolutely not. But it does mean that I should be able to look at situations and lament. It does mean that I should be able to look at the brokenness of the past and be able to stand and see the ramifications of the way that church has blown it and the impact that that's had on people's life and feel sad about that. This is not about the guilt. It's about the weight. It's about feeling sadness for the things that have taken place in our connection to the big C church. But here's the beauty of what we see happen with the people of Israel as they do this. Do you remember the pattern you see, it's that we, we break things down, but what do we remember in the process? God is one who loves to rebuild. What's true about us? We're broken. What's true about God? He is faithful. He is just. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He is kind and compassionate, and he loves to move towards his children who confess to him and forgive that's what we see over and over and over again in this pattern of what takes place in this prayer. In fact, we see this through the New Testament written hundreds of years after the time of the people of Israel in Nehemiah. In the book of 1 John in the New Testament, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not, eh, he may forgive you. No, he will forgive you. Why? Because that's the kind of God that he is. He is faithful to who he is and he desires for us to be people who come and confess, not to move us into a place of guilt and shame, but to release us from a place of guilt and shame, to move us into a place of where we feel free because you see, as we do that, as we experience this from God, do you know where that leads us to? It leads us to worship. If I just stay in this place of guilt and shame, then I just end up feeling bad, and that's kind of a lame ending to the story. The desire of God through this pattern that we see is that we would be moved out of a place like this to truly worshiping God for who he is. So here's what we wanna do. We wanna take a few minutes right now just to be able to confess. Like as you look back and you remember last year, year and a half, you got anything that you need to confess? Anything that's gone on in your life that you're like, yeah, I regret that. You just need to bring before God. 
At the same time, anything come to mind when you think of the big C church, us collectively, corporately, over all these years that you look back on and you go, that was wrong, that was messed up. I just, when I look at that, I feel sad. But we need to be able to move towards. You just need to be able to confess. What we wanna do is just create some space right now for us to be able to do that. So if you're watching online, my hope is you're not turning off right now. And for any of you, all sites, all venues, that you wouldn't get up in this time and leave because this can be some of the most important thing that we do. Because what it does, it moves us towards confession. It moves us towards a place of remembering the forgiveness of God that he gives abundantly. You see, when, when we shortchange the forgiveness and grace of God, you know what happens? Our, our confessions end up being shallow and full of excuses. But when we come to God with a deep understanding of his grace and forgiveness, man, our confessions, they are big and they are bold and they are often. And so we wanna give some space to confess right now. And then we wanna come out of that in this freedom to be able to remember and to worship this God who so abundantly forgives. I'm gonna hand off in just a second to all of the site and venue pastors right now for them to lead you through this time. Everyone else, just stay here with us and we're going to do this together. But let me uh, begin our time in prayer. God, thank you so much for the love that you have for us and the way that you show that to us through your grace and forgiveness. God, we just admit we're broken people. We mess up all the time. God, we ask forgiveness for the ways that we've blown it individually and corporately. We pray that as we enter into this time right now, I pray, Father, that uh, you would bring, to things, bring things to mind for us that we need to bring before you. And would we ultimately, as we move through this time, Father, we come to the place of a deeper understanding of your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace, your compassion, your forgiveness. We pray these things in Jesus' name.